Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Lens of Love podcast. Today's show is exciting. It will be for you, but I know it is for me. I have a guest today who I'm just honored to have on. He is my all-time favorite author. I have read many books, and I'm not the type of person who will read a book from cover to cover. Um, but Jim Palmer's books are the exception. His writing resonates with me deeply, and I can't wait to share more. So let's get started. I'm Joe Italic. My life is driven by one burning question. What would it mean for me if I looked at life through the lens of love? In my pursuit to answer that question, I'm sparking conversations with thought leaders, change makers, and risk takers who are exploring the undeniable possibilities when we look at life through love. It is my intention that these conversations will help you find your own answers to that question too. Welcome to the Lens of Love So before I bring Jim on, let me share a little bit more about Mr. Palmer. He is a critically acclaimed author of six books. I've read five of them. His sixth one is soon to be published. Um, he is an adjunct professor of ethics and comparative religion. He's a spiritual director and co-founder of the Nashville Humanist Association, where he also serves as chaplain. Jim writes a regular column for The Tennessean, and he is a professional writing coach. Jim studied journalism at East Tennessee State University, and he received his Master of Divinity degree from Trinity Divinity School in Chicago. For a, a season of his life, Jim traveled abroad with an international human rights organization where he was involved in cases of forced child prostitution and child slave labor. He is also a proud father of his daughter, Jessica, and he loves animals and enjoys photography and abstract painting. What I know about Jim is he competes in triathlons and ultra marathons, and he is definitely an explorer. You might find him running a trail, hiking to a summit, or snapping photos in villages and cities throughout the world. So allow me to share my experience of Jim and his writing. Jim's books helped me immensely through a very difficult time when I experienced church abuse. And I actually left San Diego, California, where I lived for 38 years and moved north to Orange County to actually escape from this awful experience that uh, my wife and I had. And so his books, once again, not only ministered to me, but really affirmed that I wasn't crazy with the decision that I had made. Let me share with you the books that I have read, and I think you'll tell by the titles of them that today's interview is going to be provocative, insightful, and hopefully introspective for some of you. His first book was called Divine Nobodies, Shedding Religion to Find God and the Unlikely People Who Help You. 
His second book, Wide Open Spaces, Beyond Paint by Number Christianity. The third being Jesus in Nashville, Finding the Courage to Live Your Life, Whoever and Wherever You Are. His fourth book is called Notes from Over the Edge, Unmasking the Truth to End Your Suffering. And then this book, his next book was my absolute favorite, and it's called Inner Anarchy, Dethroning God and Jesus to Save Ourselves and the World. I'm going to venture and say that the titles of Jim's books may have piqued your interest. I see today's interview as an opportunity for understanding to meet at the bridge of two perspectives that may be different, but is meant for the higher good of all. It is not intended to bash Christianity, religion, but rather to open up a conversation about what is common among religions, which is love. So no matter what faith you prescribe to, or even if you don't, I believe that today's conversation will bring great value. So let's get this started. Allow me to introduce Mr. Jim Palmer. Hello, Jim. Welcome hey, to the Hey, Joe. So great to have you. It's so yeah, good thanks. to be able to have this conversation today. And you and I have been actually working together. I know I reached out, I want to say a year ago. Um, you had a writing course that I didn't finish, by the way. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was just talking to you about that. <laughs> um, but it was our personal one-on-ones and the mentoring and coaching that you provided that have been invaluable to me. So. Uh, you've been well, I, it's great to be on your your new podcast, and I appreciate your introduction. You know, I'll, I'll send you the hundred dollars later. You know, <laughs> later on today for all those great <laughs> words. Um, but yeah, I you know I've appreciated knowing you, our conversations and connection with each other, your vision for um, Love Wave and kind of putting that question before people, what would love be or do in this very moment of your life? So, you know, it's all good, happy to be here. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, to kick things off, you know, I shared with our listeners how your books really were my companion, right? Through healing of my religious experiences. Now you were in ministry for over 20 years. And I know you speak about your journey in your first two books. Um, would, would you narrow down for me? What was your woke moment that shifted the direction of how you serve the world? Okay, so I grew up loosely Catholic, um, went off to college, managed to run into the campus director of an evangelical campus ministry my first week at school. He invited me to their group. I became a born-again Christian and discovered that I, uh, there's two things I discovered I could do, which I didn't know before that point, which is that I could, I could speak and I could lead people. So I, I went with that, became a student leader of our campus ministry, uh, was the president of our Campus Crusade for Christ ministry for a couple of years, traveled overseas with this organization, 
And my senior year in college, I learned about a gentleman who was planting a church in, uh, in, the, in the city where I was going to college. And that intrigued me. And I got to know him. And I became a part of that church. And my relationship with that pastor resulted in me going to seminary where I got my master's of divinity, went on staff after I graduated at Willow Creek Community Church, which at the time was the largest uh, Christian church in North America, it was a mega church. And I was a pastor of that church before leaving and then starting my own church in Nashville, Tennessee, where I was a senior pastor. It was a successful church by almost all uh, standards that someone might apply to uh, what a what a successful church would be. However, I began noticing some years into it that despite all my upstanding uh, orthodox bulletproof seminary certified <laughs> biblical theology you know despite all that yeah. i began to notice that a lot of the personal problems in the lives of the congregants that attended our church persisted depression anxiety brokenness unhappiness and i guess the uh one of the specific experiences that 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 really made me step back and and, and think about what what was happening for myself and for these people and in my involvement in religion is i had a young woman call me and asked if we could do coffee together to chat she was the wife of our worship leader and thought it was a little bit odd, but you know, I got together with a lot of different people in our church. So I met her for coffee. And in the context of our conversation, she uh, pulled up uh, her, the sleeves of her, of her uh, blouse and showed me bruises up and down her arms. And then she slid up her dress up to her knees and showed me the bruises on her legs. And our worship leader, uh, her husband was beating her and that really kind of brought to a, a head my concern that there was a disconnect between um, this church, uh, my preaching and my theology and, and our church, uh, you know, meetings and community and, and um, this disconnect between that and what was happening in people's lives. And then I realized that not only was this true of the people in our congregation, it was true of my own life. I had anxiety. I suffered with depression. I was largely unhappy and frustrated and didn't have peace or joy. So all those were part of the beginning of the end for me in terms of deciding to leave professional Christian ministry to walk away from organized religion and kind of start from scratch and see if I could figure out, uh, okay, what, if any of this is real, hmm. you know, uh, what, and that's when I started writing, you know, shortly after I left, as I began to try to sort out for myself, what I thought was real or um, what to believe. Uh, that's divine. Nobody's kind of came out of that initial season of my life of leaving my professional ministerial career, my church community, and my commitment to religion. Wow. Wow. 
when you think about the disconnect, as you mentioned, right, between religion and those that potentially use it as a hiding place, um, you know, in your pursuit to find those answers, what are some of the things you discovered, um, you know, along that journey? Well, <clears throat> Divine Nobodies, the subtitle, Shedding Religion to Find God and, and the Unlikely People Who Help You. And the part of the title that's the unlikely people who help you is that outside of Christian subculture, uh, kind of, you know, in the real world, outside of my, my theologically constructed universe, uh, I, I got to know a lot of people that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to know because you you would have never found them in our church or in the particular Christian subculture that I I was involved in, and these unsuspecting people, which a pastor with a advanced theological advanced theological degree like myself, you know, you wouldn't I would have never expected that these people would have been teaching me something about God, but I was wrong. Wow. So the uh, my friendship with Wanda the Waffle House waitress, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, a, a hip hop musician, car mechanic, tattoo artist, a girl with cerebral palsy, a tire salesman, you know, all these individuals showed me something about God that I had not ever seen before. And their lives challenged many of the the things that I learned when I was in, in seminary and the, the theology that I had. And of course, this, this continued to happen. You mentioned my travels abroad doing human rights work. That was a, another experience that really challenged my, my theology about suffering and who is God even. And so the more I ventured away from the, the echo chamber of my Christian subculture, <clears throat> the more I began to lose confidence in a lot of the theology that I had constructed in seminary. And, you know, incidentally, kind of related to your, your, your vision for the, the significance of love, one of the real turning points in terms of my starting to think very differently about God was actually a, a verse in scripture that says God is love. Mm -hmm. And that verse had a dramatic impact in my thinking, um, particularly in, in leading me down a path uh, away from traditional Christian theism and but perhaps most importantly is i came to the realization that that this verse god is love was profoundly significant if, if you switched it around in the reverse order you could say love is god god is love and love is god so i began thinking about this that um God, after all, is a, is a word that, well, you know, 
human beings created language as a social technology. We had to have some way to, to get along and get on with, with uh, propagating our species forward. And, and human language was the social technology that we created to be able to do that, to be able to cooperate. Right. And so we, we created language, right? Like we created it. Uh, we, we agreed that certain words are indicators of something, you know, uh, if you, if you, if you deconstruct language, you, you sort of start to see that, that the words we use, which are signifiers are never completely going to capture the signified or the things that the words point to. So, mm. you know, like, like the Buddha said, when, when pointing at the moon, you know, don't confuse your finger for the moon. You know, the, the thing, like the words we use to describe something isn't the thing itself fully or completely, you know. And so the word God is a word we chose. We all kind of have this agreement that it's referring to something that is ultimate, something that can never be fully contained, that, that there's a there's an infinitude and eternity. And in an eternality, a um, incomprehensibility, and an ultimate reality that we're pointing to when we use the word God. So when the Bible says God is love, you could argue that the that the ultimate reality of the universe is love. That, that this is what love is, right. and, and in in any form. Um, thinking it, feeling it, speaking it, expressing it, receiving it. I mean, I can't tell you how many times over the years as a spiritual director, people will say something like, well, you know, Jim, I, I really struggle because I can't seem to experience God. You know, people talk about how, you know, I hear people's stories about they go uh, meditate or they have these spiritual disciplines and they hear God talking to them and they talk to God, they feel close to God and all that. And I just can't seem to experience God in my life. And then I'll, I'll sometimes ask that person the question, well, okay, let me, let me ask you, um, uh, do you love your children? And, you know, well, yeah, of course I love my children. You know, does it feel good when they love you? Well, yeah, Jim, I mean, come on. I mean, uh, I mean, love is always, yeah, I experience love from other people. I express love. Love is good. You know, it, it feels good. It's pretty much, you know, uh, accepted as the, the, the highest form of, of human interaction. It's, yeah, I mean, love is all these things. And I experience them in my life in all these different ways. And so, of course, the point is, well, when you experience those things, you are experiencing God. Like, that is God. You tell me that you don't experience God, but we just talked about how you experience love. And the Bible says that God is love, which means love is God, which means that you're experiencing the ultimate truth, the ultimate reality, transcendent. Um, it's a transcendent experience whenever you encounter or experience love. And, wow. and then th that really, that understanding kind of sent me down a path uh, to some extent away from Christian theism, because what I realized 
to some extent is that God doesn't have to be a person for God to be personal. Mm. Right. You know, like Christian theism tends to want to make God into a supreme being with human-like characteristics. And, and I think that it's a, it's a vehicle to try to um, enable people to relate to ultimate reality in, in, in a way that is accessible to them. But, but then we got to be a little careful of like building a religion around the finger that's pointing to the reality. Right, right. Wow. And so, you know, um, when I think about what your writing has done, it's really taken, taken my, the up, you know, my upbringing and my time in service in Christian ministry of this God in the sky, you know, and, and really brought it front and center, like into my life. So talk about, and expand a little bit about what you were just sharing about how, you know, the, the makeup and the image that we've come, because it seems like we make God um, in the image and likeness of ourselves versus the other way around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's that, that story that says if, if, if a bunch of cows got together one day and decided they were going to dream up a God, you know, it, it wouldn't be any big, you know, revelation that, that their God would end up being like a cow, you know, the perfect <laughs> ideal cow, you know? Right. And so, it's likewise human beings. It's not that big a surprise that we basically made God a, another person, just a better one, you know. So, hence your idea that that, as the Bible says, we were created in the image of God, and then we we kind of returned the favor, I guess, and, and then we created God in in our own image. And so I think that um, religion is, it's, it's, religion's got a tough and difficult task because it's, it's trying to make the incomprehensible, um, the infinite, the eternal, the, the ultimate, reality and essence of the universe to, you know, trying to make it accessible and right. practical so that the, the, the people can, can relate to it. You know, it's kind of like, think about if, if, the, if there's a village a mile away from the ocean, okay, there's a massive body of water and, and th- there should be no reason why nobody we wouldn't have any water to drink. I mean, they're only a mile or two or a few miles away from, from a massive source of water. But right. just because they're a few miles away from that massive source of water, I mean, something's got to be done to somehow transport the water from the source 
uh, all the way to the point where, you know, you turn on your spigot and water comes out. Okay, so we got to create something that makes the water accessible um, mm-hmm. on an on, on individual and practical level. So it's kind of what religion is left with. They, they've got the ocean, which is God, but they, they've got to build some mechanisms uh, by which a person is able to access this reality on, on a very personal and individual level. And so, it, uh, you know, whether it's gathering people together in, in, into a community to, to support each other in their beliefs or individual spiritual um, practices or spiritual disciplines, um, you know, the, the Bible becomes a way to make God accessible uh, to people, right? I mean, you know, what, right. what better way in Western civilization than, you know, to put it in a book? Um, and, but we can get too attached to, to any of these individual expressions or manifestations or any of these ways of trying to make God accessible and, and start, you know, kind of worshiping the, the tools that were created to try, to try to understand something. And human beings have always been prone to externalize uh, things and to make them very concrete and material. So it, it, it kind of runs all the way through. For example, in Christianity, God is a sort of Gandalf, um, <laughs> you know, guy in the sky who's, who, who created everything and pulling the strings and overseeing the affairs of humankind. Right. Um, the, the intentions, the mind, the will of God, you know, we externalize that in a book, which is the, the Bible, uh, the ultimate experience that God has to offer a human being is externalized. It's materialized in a place called heaven when you die. Um, evil is, is externalized into a material being, which we call Satan, you know, uh, and, this is one of the things that Jesus challenged was this externalization of spiritual reality. This is what confused people. You know, Jesus would go around and he, he would say, the kingdom of God has come, right? And, and people would say, well, where is this kingdom? I don't, what are you talking about? You know, I, right. because they were anticipating a literal, physical kind of kingdom, a political a uh, revolution which which change would change the power structures of their day. So they were looking for it along those lines, and then of course Jesus said, "Well, you know, you uh, you're not going to find it that way. The kingdom is already here because the kingdom is already inside of you. Because the kingdom is a spiritual reality that you access within yourself, and the only kingdom that's ever going to be." Is, is that kingdom inside of you through which you live and express in the world. So there's nothing to wait for. The kingdom is here. The only thing that's lacking is you um, incarnating it, manifesting it, expressing it through your thoughts, your actions, your decisions, and your choices. So, you know, if 
If you're waiting for the kingdom of God to come, well, you know, you're going to be waiting a long time if you think that it's an externally kind of given thing that God's going to give you at some later point, like a gift under a Christmas tree or something. <laughs> right. Well, it's interesting, Jim, because as you have been sharing, my mind's just been flooding with things that I used to defend as a Christian. And since I've left religion, I've really started to question the things that, uh, how I would lead my life and the lenses that I looked out of. And one of the things is I never could understand the reaction of others when I would tell them, God loves you and Jesus loves you. And there would be this stare like, and, you know, why doesn't it penetrate? Why don't people receive that? Well, I think that one of the, uh, when it comes to Christianity, the best thing going for Christianity is, is Jesus. And yeah. then there's all the other things that got added to it, which haven't been very helpful in, in many ways. But think about the whole point of Jesus, which is that um, God made real through the human being. So, for example, with the with 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 the woman who was caught in the act of adultery and she's dragged to the through the dirt and thrown to the ground and the religious leaders come uh, to condemn and stone her and then Jesus arrives on the scene and he sends um, her condemners away and and it's kind of like if you know the the dust settles and the camera zooms in and there's just this woman sprawled out in the dirt. And, and Jesus kneels down to her. What I think is interesting about that passage is all the things that Jesus does not do. Jesus does not tell the woman that God loves her. Jesus does not tell her, you know, hey, you know, um, just, you know, let it go, shuck it off. Look over <laughs> here, there's, there's a very quiet place you can go. <laughs> go there and meditate and think within yourself about, how much God loves you. Don't, don't come down from that mountain until you realize that God loves you. Um, be quiet and still in your heart and meditate upon it. He doesn't tell her to do that. He doesn't give her a teaching on the theology of God's love. He doesn't give her a pamphlet or a book to read about uh, how much she is loved by God. The only thing that Jesus does is he himself loves her. He loves her. Mm. And then that was something I really um, realized is that for myself, for many years, you know, as a religious person, I wanted to save the world. And I went to people and I told them that God loved them, but I was disappointed because I noticed that not a whole lot changed. And then what I discovered is that what needed to happen was not me tell them that God loved them, they needed for me to love them. And that the world doesn't need to be saved, the world needs to be loved. And, and, and that's how you actually save it. 
is you you love people but it's got to be made real through our expressions of it you know not not some abstract idea that god loves you i mean that's what i don't understand sometimes about some christians is that the whole point of jesus you know like is to try to dissuade people from thinking about God as some separate entity up in the sky. In fact, right. one time some people came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you would just show us God, if you would just show us the Father, then we know that, that anything that's unresolved in our hearts will be made right. And, and Jesus basically says, okay, do you see me? Like, yeah, okay, you've seen God. That's it, you've seen the Father. Right. (laughs) And you have had people over history recognize this, right? Like the great mystics. um, I think it was, who was it? Teresa of Avila who wrote, you know, we are now the the eyes of Christ, the hands of Christ, the feet of Christ. I mean, look, there's no kingdom apart from you. There's no Christ apart from you. Um, It's, it's, an expression so, in and through you. So what Jesus was doing was modeling, like we see the God in each one of us. Because that was the exclusivity, right, that I think a lot of Christians would, would you know, entertain. Right? You there know, is God in me. Just, it, right? Um, talk a little bit about that. You mean exclusively, exclusivity meaning that? With just... The, just Jesus was modeling for us that there's God in each one of us. If you see me, you see God. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, wow. So I thought, so yes, I think like what your, what your point, I think you were right. Is that um, the other uh, people, human beings will also, we also have a tendency to, to kind of shirk, responsibility you know mm-hmm. we we want god to save the world we want god to love the world we want to pray for divine intervention we seek god um for the things that we perceive that lack in our lives or we pray for other people that god might provide for them whatever we perceive that they need or lack, you know, and just, just notice how it's always put off on, you know, God or a divine uh, intervention of some sort uh, versus seeing ourselves in any moment as the ones who are meant to, uh, to, to, to offer ourselves to other human beings in, in, in those moments. Right. You know? So really the WWJD uh, <laughs> that was so popular, what, 20, I mean, it's, it's <laughs> people still use that term, what would Jesus do, um, has a whole new meaning for me. It was really what, what would I do, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. Or... That, Sometimes I ask what, what, you know, the other thing I sometimes ask is what would John Wick do? 
Right. Uh, I had to throw that in there because <laughs> because um, we went to go see the third one. I don't know if anybody's seen John Wick three, <laughs> but I tell you what, it really ramped up the violence. I tell you, you know. Uh, I haven't seen the third installment, so. <laughs> but yeah, that you know, um, rather than asking what would Jesus do, you know, seeing yourself. Uh, you know, maybe instead plug in your question, what what would love do right now? Yeah, absolutely. What w, I guess it'd be WWLD. Ah, love it. Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to capture something that you said earlier uh, that was profound, is that the world doesn't need to be saved. It needs to be loved or people don't want to be saved, people want to be loved. And it's in the love that they are saved. Did I capture that right? Yeah. Yeah, that, that's, that's wonderful. That is awesome. Uh, so I wanted to uh, actually put you on the spot here. I, okay. There are some core beliefs that the Love Wave movement is being grounded in. And there are just some common beliefs about love. So I, yeah. I want to share, here's a core belief, and then just share your ideas and how that, what it means for you and any examples or expanding on that thought. The first one is, love has no labels. Yeah, I, I think of love... Um, as a, as a fundamental approach to life. So it's not like a spigot you turn off and on depending on the situation or the person, you know, like um, it's, it's an approach to life. So I would, I would, you know, really agree with that idea that it's not like we pick and choose who we love or or we don't love because it's it's not like that it's um it's an entire way of of being in the world it's a way of being mm. um and and not necessarily well and not um kind of a a, a pick and choose when or wh who we express it to right yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a recent example that I read. It was in my Google, Google thread in the new, my news thread and Lauren Daigle, who is a, a, a Christian recording artist. She um, was being, um, she, she was a guest on Ellen DeGeneres. And so there's a lot of um, Christian leaders who are really speaking you know, adversely about her, um, knowing that Ellen is openly gay. And so what we see here, I, I mean, is a vivid picture of what, you know, I experience in terms of Christians, really the separation and the division. Um, so the notion of love has no labels, right? Um, I think lends to that, right? Yeah, I think that um, it's not like, even if you, the verse 
God is love is, is a statement of essence or being. This is something that you are. So if you're going with any kind of a Christian framework, you being born in the image of God, that idea is that you were born in the image of love, which is that it's much more fundamental to the essence of who you are and not like just a selective action that you choose to offer or withhold based on some set of uh, reasons about why you think, um, you know, you should or shouldn't love someone. It's, it's almost like it's irrelevant because the point of love is that, um, you know, when it, using the language you use, the idea of it's a lens, it's not like you, you, you kind of pop it on and off and on, you, you know, like depending on the situation of the people. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a way of being in the world. So right. it's completely irrelevant to, to even like somehow establish some kind of set of conditions or standard um, or, 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 or try to specify uh, when love is an appropriate expression or action. Because the answer to that question is, it is universally, unconditionally, the right expression or action always. Right. Yes. Always. Now, now we, uh, you know, th that doesn't mean that it, it's an easy thing to know what um, it means to be love in some situations and with some people, right? Like it's, it's not always clear cut on how to love or what our responsibility um, uh, the, what it looks like to love in, in any given situation, right? Like even you, I think, talk some about that your coaching has something to do with tough love, mm -hmm. you know? So um, it's, it's every situation is, is different, you know? Like, but, but at least that's asking the right question, which is what does it mean for me to be loved in this situation with this person, with this circumstance, you, you know? Um, that that's the right question, even if there's not an easy answer, and we kind of have to really work and wrestle through it sometimes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, like like for example, it's uh, you know, um, what does it mean to love your ex spouse? Right. You know, I mean, that's <laughs> what is what does it mean to love the person who um, holds a view that you. Um, believe it's absolutely reprehensible you know stuff yes. like that yes what a great question and those are all i don't know i've come to learn that when something is not lovable or doesn't feel lovable it's a call for love and so yeah and, that's a good yeah a good axiom to think about yeah um i want to get your reaction on one of the other okay horrible and it is love asks for nothing. Yeah, I think that, um, be, again, I would go back to that because love is a way of being, that there, it's not predicated upon any, any other factor. 
you know, um, like the worthiness of the the, the person, the, or uh, what you get in return. Right. Um, you know, it, it's uh, it, it's kind of I, I think the a a victory would be for people to really get their their hands around this idea that that love is a way of being in the world it's not a thing you do transactionally in the sense of picking and choosing you know um now i think where it gets complicated or not really complicated but where where you have to you know use your common sense and thinking we often equate I mean, love often comes up in the context of like relationships, you right. know, and I think most people would describe a healthy relationship um, in terms of mutuality, mm -hmm. um, reciprocity, the, the caring and meeting of one another's needs and desires, you know, so like, um, and, and so you got to think you got to be careful not to confuse certain things right like like because think about how in christianity and some of some of the most extreme uh expressions of it would would for example tell a woman that she's obligated to stay with with an abusive husband you right. know like the uh and that 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 and so that's highly problematic this idea that that uh, a sign of your devotion is that you're willing to endure abuse so you know and and i guess a person could say the same thing about love in a way you know like well well you know love means that that i will tolerate the abuse of another person because i truly love them and and then, you know, that that's an example of, of one of those cases where, um, you know, you have to think through what it means to love in that situation, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, because like in that case, you could be confusing enabling with love. Right. You know, like like, for example, love isn't necessarily... I'm going to um, accept or tolerate or support a behavior that is abusive to me or even detrimental, you know, to yourself. But I think that your the statement that you made, though, I, I think is um, makes sense in light of this idea that that you know we love not as a transaction to get something in return we fundamentally love because we believe that it it is the the highest expression of the human being and it's the most constructive and liberating and transforming way of being in the world and so you know and that is the payback or the reward you know right. it, uh, itself it's not like 
In other words, part of it, I think what you're, you could be saying is that, well, or let me put it this way, is that love um, is, Uh, love is a way of being in the world that is worthwhile always, regardless of the outcome. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, right. right. Because like, even think about how the sun can either melt wax or harden clay. Mm. So there are sometimes when we love people, it, it melts them like wax. Like it, it really, sometimes loving people really gets through to them. It can be transformational. But look, there's some people who will not respond that way. I mean, right. they may harden their hearts. Even, mm. you know, it, it may, uh, your expression of love may anger them yes. for, for, for who knows any number of, of, of reasons, but that doesn't mean that your expression of love was wrong or inconsequential, right? Because even Jesus said, it's, it's really easy to love the people that we, we mainly kind of like and get along with, but what really changes things is your capacity to love people um, who are, 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 are not reciprocating or, or may even be adversarial to who you are. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, what you said, um, like wax, it melts, hardens, or was there a third one? No, it's, it, I was just saying that the sun is, you know, it, 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 it can do both of these things equally. It can melt wax or harden clay. Right. And love can be the same, you know, like it, it's not always going to have the same result. It's not always going to have the outcome we want even. And we're not responsible for how it's received. Right. We can't right. ever be responsible for the outcome. We can only be responsible for our expressions of love, or our actions. Yeah. or That's awesome. Wow. Well, Jim, I could talk to you for days. Um, and we have before. No. <laughs> I, uh, I want to take just a, a little time, if, if you can, share a little bit about your upcoming book. <clears throat> Yes, the uh, I'm still. I'm uh, the book currently is titled "How How to Have a Great Day Without God," <laughs> and the the purpose of and the subtitle is a universal handbook for living life well, and the purpose of the title. Um, has a lot to do, which I, which I explain in the book, um, with, with this basic premise that we as human beings lack what is necessary um, within ourselves and in the context of our daily lives. We, we really lack what is necessary to live meaningfully, fully, freely, joyfully, and um, we, are, we are forever condemned to this kind of dependency on something outside of ourselves for which we really have no, no control over to do something for us that we can't do with ourselves. And, and that model of life, in my view, is, is, is very problematic and 
we we um, sabotage our own happiness and well-being um, as a result of of following it. That that basic idea, and so the the, the book is um, w- was written to like help people recognize and access what they have available to them as a human being to create a life of of meaning well-being um and and fulfillment and 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 so it's without uh a person may be a christian uh the person may be a muslim buddhist atheist but i wrote the book with the idea of not attaching it to any particularly particular belief in god at all Mm -hmm. um and 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 you could feasibly make it applicable in whatever beliefs you happen to have but i wanted to 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 make uh kind of make a case for living a meaningful life and a fulfilling and joyful life in the world um outside of this model of dependency upon external things uh, to to enable you to achieve it. Yeah. It's such an important message. And the title will either intrigue people to pick it up and beat their interest or I'll piss them off. Like, like that. <laughs> I, well, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know, you know, that's, uh, and, it also is a little bit more specific about one day when I when I uh, opened up uh, my social media and I saw a post. Someone had posted this meme, which is in essence God telling somebody, "Hey, look, uh, why don't you just step back, forget about it, let go, don't worry about anything." And let me handle your day for you, kind of thing. You know, mm-hmm. um, let let me do it for you. This is God. Um, I'm here to say, you know, take your hands off the wheel. Why not let me direct things today? Right. And so that 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 <laughs> kind of got me thinking, which eventually led to, you know, that that particular title. Um, not too long ago, shortly after that, I saw another post that someone was talking about, you know, I am weak, I'm powerless, it's only God, only God can give me the strength. I'm dependent on God for the strength, the guidance, the endurance, the stamina, the perseverance, the abundance that I want in my life. And they were really practically, you know, um, flagellating themselves about how weak and helpless and powerless that you, you they are. And they, they were calling upon people to, to acknowledge this about themselves. Go to God, tell God, I can do nothing. I'm, I'm not capable. I'm completely and utterly um, powerless and weak and helpless to direct my life. And I throw myself on your mercy. God, please fill me and do it. You know, and, um, <laughs> and it, it was that sort of thing that, that kind of really led to the title of the book, you know, um, can a person have a great day without, you know, turning it all over to God or groveling to God 
under the assumption that you're not capable within yourself or as yourself to to live a life you would want to live well yeah i i can't wait for that to be in my hands and so i'm really really excited about that and congratulations thanks uh, yeah i'm doing that uh so this brings us to the conclusion, unfortunately, because uh, this has been a phenomenal conversation. Thank you so much for coming today. I want to do a little disclaimer here uh, for my Christian friends and family. I love them, and I'm not against anything. But what I am for is love in the condition that Jesus had modeled on this earth. And unfortunately, I don't see that some, uh, many times in organized religion where there is this div divisive approach towards life and the separateness of it all. And so in my view, when there is a separation, that isn't of God. So I just want to say that this wasn't anything to, to you know, make a stand against anything or anyone, but it really, once again, was to have a healthy conversation. So I appreciate that. Yeah, so, amen yeah, before, to that. Um, give um, our listeners uh, a, an idea of where they can get a hold of you, contact you, or find you on social media. My website is jimpalmerauthor.com. Uh, my email address is um, uh, jim at, uh, well, let's see, what is it? <laughs> I, I know I have several too, and so I'll leave that. Yeah, I got how's that <laughs> yeah but yeah well jimpalmerauthor.com you know you can find me on facebook twitter instagram linkedin things like that you know, just type in jim palmer i'm on amazon and goodreads and stuff like that so i'm not um that that difficult to find um so yeah drop me a line um if, if any questions from our interview today then you know i don't know who you want to ask about or whatever I'm, I'm happy to connect with people i enjoy it yeah beautiful well thank you again jim for coming listeners thank you for uh being here today and we'll see you next time on the next episode of the lens of love podcast bye everyone thank you for listening to the lens of love podcast if today's episode brought value and insight you can help us advance the movement, and the message by doing these three things all at the same time. First of all, give us a shout out on the platform that you're listening on. And then a five-star rating would be absolutely amazing and appreciated. And then lastly, of course, is subscribe to the podcast so that you can join the love wave that is happening across the planet. Now, you can find me on Facebook at Love Joe and on Instagram at LoveJoe underscore lens of love and visit me on my website at joeitalic.com thanks again for listening and always remember love is still the answer